So it was kind of how things weave together and you can only look at it in hindsight, how service works, but you just do your best, serve others and let it go. And then magical, amazing things happen. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. What's up, guys? Today, I have an exciting interview with you that I did with James Beck of Giving Beck. Now, James did an amazing thing. He really wanted to transform the way that his mind worked and the way that he approached the world. Um, and he wanted to transfer from a place of negativity to a place of positivity. So he gave away every single thing that he owned and then traveled about the country, helping one person in each state along the way. And we talk about some of what he learned from helping folks, from giving everything away, from wiring his brain, and from meeting so many different people across the country. We also talk about the work that he does to help people feel better physically um, with his company, Beck Balance. He's worked as a chiropractor and a health expert on a variety of shows like The Biggest Loser and American Gladiators. And now he has his own practice helping folks relieve lower back pain as well as a variety of other pains, but also in teaching other chiropractors to do the same. And he actually does have a workshop coming up. So if you want to check out that workshop, you can go to beckbalance.com and you can register using Greg, G-R-E-G, and you will receive a 30% discount. So definitely check that out and hope that you guys enjoy the episode. James, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you on today. Thanks, Greg, for having me. Looking forward to it. For sure. I mean, you've had such an amazing journey going around the country, helping so many people. I'm really excited to get into that, kind of what started that, and your experience communicating with so many different types of people across the country. But I'd love if we could just kick it off by just telling me a little bit about uh, kind of what where the idea even come from. Well, it, it came from a reckoning. So... We don't use that word very much nowadays. However, when you grow up in the country, I reckon so. It's <laughs> I reckon. Or if, it, if you're involved with like ancient studies, a reckoning is a very, it's an ancient term. But yeah, December 1st, 2010, I got out of the shower and was in my bathroom, sopping wet, dripping, naked, looking at myself. And I just staring at myself in the mirror and I just pointed at my face and I said, you don't fool me. You don't fool me. And I said, like, you got other people fooled. Your life looks great. People envy it, but you don't fool me. It sucks. You climbed the wrong mountain. And I was, as far as a, a massage therapist, I was working on the weekends on uh, NBC's The Biggest Loser. I was the exclusive body worker, a manual therapist for that show. And then throughout the week, I was the managing partner of a post-surgical recovery facility. So I had about 30 nurses that worked for me. And we had one floor of the Palomar Hotel, and we took in patients post-op, which was all top plastic and orthopedic surgeons, Beverly Hills. And, you know, had a nice car. I was driving around, nice place by the beach, some nice stuff. But I was looking at my life, and it was like, if I was to die 
no one would have noticed or cared. I mean, my mom would have cared, of course, and a few friends would have given me a toast, but I wasn't making an impact. And I, I had reached the peak of a mountain I was climbing and I got to the top and I'm like, oh crap, I'm at the wrong mountain. And I had spent the last 10 years writing a book about breaking patterns of generational dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And was looking at myself, I'm like, if you truly know how to rewire the mind, if you know how to break these patterns of, of generational dysfunction, the sins of the father, how they're passed on and, and how to rework that and rewire that, then what are you doing with your life? And do you really believe? And if you believe, then what does that translate to? And so after that, I decided, I'm going to do the coolest thing I can imagine. And it is so cool. I haven't imagined it yet. (laughs) And so from that point, I just decided I was going to make different decisions than I had ever made, whatever pulled on my heart and kind of strengthen that there. You have your reptilian brain, which is fight or flight survival. And then you have your limbic brain In, in between. You have your executive function but your limbic brain is the ancient structure, that gut instinct, intuition. And I wanted to tie my survival into being able to listen to that and understand that and have that operate in everyday life. And I studied, my mom was a a registered nurse. She worked for a neurology clinic. So it was a hobby of understanding, learning the brain. As a kid, she said, hey, everything you're learning about the brain in school, just know it's not true. I was like, mom, how can you say that? She's like, because I'm working with these neurologists and they're all telling me that it's all wrong. And they're, we're just learning now. So in the you know late 80s, early 90s, that was my training. It's like, hey, this is really a, a blue ocean, a, a, a powder mountain that no one's really carved up yet because we haven't known what neuroplasticity looked like. And, mm-hmm. and so I'd, I'd been studying that since I was about 14. And there's a way that you can access your reptilian brain where you say if you're scared of snakes, they dump a bunch of snakes on you and then eventually you're not scared of snakes anymore. Well, in order to access that fight or flight and, and rewire how it's connected to the world, I was like, I, the one thing that scared me the most was there's a, a story in the Bible where a rich young ruler goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He's like, follow the laws of the prophets. And the dude's like, hey, I did that since I was a kid. I'm, you know, Mr. Cool Guy, religious guy. And yeah. I'm paraphrasing, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus is like, all right, he's so bad. All your stuff, get rid of it. And then, and it says, you know, follow me. But when you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's live in this fashion of service and giving and loving other people live in this way and you'll see God or you'll, see, you know, you'll connect with love. You'll connect with that human spirit, you know, the, the beauty of humanity. You can't not. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was looking at that and my, my father was a kind of a religious fraud. Um, he, he, he shouldn't have been teaching. He basically had no love in the home and your father gives you your connection to the external world. And so he was a religious zealot that would basically preach in on the pulpit and then, you know, yell at me and hit me on the way to church and then preach and then yell at me and hit me on the way home. And, you know, it took a lot of his rage and anger out on me. And so knowing that if that's how my 
connection to the external world is, I needed to rewire that. I needed to change that because that's limiting my life. And how do you change yourself? How do you change your relationship to yourself? Well, and then changing your environment, accessing your brain, rewiring from reptilian brain. So it scared me the most of giving everything away. So April Fool's Day, four months later the day, I invited all my friends over. I said, take it all. And gave away, I gave away my business, gave away everything that wasn't necessary of accomplishing my journey. I decided I wanted to serve one year because it was an understand. Okay, one year, that's solid. It's a time frame that's easy to chew on. And then as I was thinking, it's like, okay, there's 50 states. Well, there's 52 weeks in a year. One state a week, two weeks off for vacation. That kind of works with the math. Easy, then, easy. Yeah, and then, you know, just as I made sure that I wasn't making any decision, I was just getting inspiration from other places. So uh, it didn't matter if they were living or fictional, you know, Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. Or when I was trying to figure out how long do I stay with each person in the state, Ben Franklin said, visitors like fish go bad after three days. So I was like, okay, three days it is. So it was a way for me to turn my brain off from trying to control everything and controlling and going from shifting from like having this material world that I would have fought for my life to keep. Now I'm giving it to friends and it, it's a living funeral. And there, there's a, it was, there's a potlatch native American, uh, tradition in the Northwest, when you want to become an elder, a tribal member wants to become an elder, they give all of their possessions to their tribe. And that removes the ulterior motive for that of making decisions so you can trust their leadership. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to experience that transition kind of boy to man, um, for a different mindset of, of being an elder. And, and so, yeah, I gave everything away and to explore what that different way of existing was like. And then I went around the country and served one family in every state for three days. Uh, went from April 1st, 2011 to April 1st, 2012. Finished wow. without a second to spare. It must have been terrifying on the front end of that, I assume. And your friends must have thought you were out of your mind. Yeah, I lost I, I lost a lot of friends. But yeah. the crazy thing, it was more of a filter because there was a lot of friends that I would have bet the farm, oh, they're going to be there for me. You know, I, they're, my, they're my bro. And uh, no, crickets. As soon as I didn't have the stuff or the life that they gained from, then it was gone. But then the interesting thing is the most powerful friends that I had were the ones that were actually more personally connected to me going throughout the United States. Different friends that hold high positions in corporations or I don't want to name drop, but they would call me and even fly out to meet me in different parts of the country and surprise me. And then it was this um, realization that I had been investing in the wrong people. I had this, this slice of time that I was giving and I was, I was going after what looked good versus before I knew what good looked like. Mm-hmm. And so this process of going around, rewiring my mind, understanding what value I have and what value other people are actually having and exchanging, understanding relational power. It was a great filtration to get rid of a lot of relationships that I really should have gotten rid of on the first place. For sure. For sure. So I'm curious, how did you go about finding the people who you helped? 
Well, it depends. If you're talking friends or strangers, I had uh, probably 40% of the people were buddies, people that I'd known for either from college. Uh, like I said, I, was, I worked on The Biggest Loser, so I served four Biggest Loser contestants uh, from different seasons uh, to incorporate that part of my life. Uh, one person from each side of the family, I picked one that represented like my, an estranged cousin from my dad's side of the family. And I served my mom's roommate from nursing school in Missouri. So like being able to connect all those dots. So I sent out a, a message on Facebook and said, speak now or forever hold your peace. Because I didn't want someone saying, why didn't you call me? You don't like me. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I gave you the offering and you didn't reach out. So... So I did that. And then there's a few people that I made sure I talked to and said, hey, I really want you to be a part of this. And it was easy, you know, and you reach friends. But then the 60% strangers, it was either when I served someone, uh, someone that I knew, they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You know, what other states you got? And they would want me to serve their friends in other states because they thought it was the coolest thing. It was a hookup. And then also I used, in order to vet strangers, because I wanted to make sure I had some connections with people that I had no connection with except uh, online, I used couchsurfing. So couchsurfing.org to where oh. stay on people's couches, probably not now with the pandemic going on, <laughs> but you could stay on people's couches for free. Well, I used that to, to develop a community, yeah. So like international people coming into LA, they knew that I had a solid profile and I was a trustworthy person in Los Angeles. And, you know, some people just use it to not pay rent, but I was using it to like, oh, a person from Brazil or France or whatever, and just kind of build an international community or people traveling. And so I had a good profile in accepting people, but I never went on the adventure of actually doing it. And so I was like, well, if these people are willing to let me crash on their couch for free, me serving them and helping them would be just bonus. Mm -hmm. And I got to vet and make sure they were trustworthy. I had a lot yeah. of good recommendations. Once I did that, so four people I served through that, but then they thought it was the coolest thing. And then they would set me up with friends and other connections. They're like, what other states do you need? I want to have all my <laughs> friends in every state. So by the time, you know, first 10 states, I had to hustle because people were like, you're crazy. This is nuts. But then I would put videos out of the experience. I put links, um, Facebook uh, links to their Facebook page so people could communicate independently of me. And the fact that I had no control over what they said made it to where trust just flowed. And so after state 10, state 10 to 15, it was a lot easier. 15 to 20, I started getting volume. And after state 20, I would have like, 30 choices per state and I would just pick the coolest opportunity to serve. <laughs> wow. That's pretty amazing. Can you share a few stories of, of how you help folks along the way? Yeah. Every state was so different because I would just show up and say, how can I help you? And so it was more about who they were and, and it reflected their personality, what they, they asked. But so say California and you look at it on the surface, California, Guy was have, you know, having a baby, so I helped prepare the baby's room. Ohio, she has, asked me to take her son's fishing. Or uh, Indiana, lady asked me to help her friend uh, pick up, actually pick up dog poop. But when you dig a little deeper, the, the person in California was a longtime friend. He's like an older brother. He's in my wedding. 
And he's the guy that, you know, there, there's a concept that I explored in this trip of atonement. So atoning for the sins of my father. My father went around the country and my grandfather taking advantage of people and hurting people. And, and so where my forefathers hurt and took, I would give and help and serve. And so like in, in order to atone for that, and one of the things that uh, Marshall uh, McCabe in California, he volunteers in for uh, helping kids that are um, going through PTSD from recovering from sexual abuse, physical abuse, trauma, and uses acting, teaches them acting to process that. Huh. And at first I, I asked him, because I just knew he volunteered for kids. I'm like, hey, why, why do you do that? And he said, the kids have to be warned about the demons. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like the demons of waiting for ice cream. And I kind of chuckled and I was like, I thought it was because he jokes around a lot. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, James, when I was eight years old, I was waiting for my father to come home and take me out for ice cream. And he committed suicide. And before he picked me up. And these kids don't understand the demons that will come if you're always waiting for ice cream, if you're waiting for your father to come home and be the type of father that you deserve. Yeah. It steals your innocence. It steals your life. It's, but they have to just be told the truth that this was what was stolen from you. And these are the demons you will face because when you know the demon is coming, then you can prepare yourself. Then when it comes, you have the armor on. You still got to battle it. You still got to do everything you can to work through it, but it exponentially increases the chances of you succeeding. Well, that was California. That was where I, my journey ended. He told me that way a few, several years before I even left on my journey. Ohio, Melissa took her boys fishing. There was a girl that came to my party where I gave everything away. And she's a friend from college. And she was like, hey, could you help my friend? She's trying to get on one of those weight loss shows, like The Biggest Loser. And can use your connection. So, okay, I'll, 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 I'll see what I can do. And I was talking to her, trying to help see if I can pull some strings. And I didn't know if it was going to be successful, but then she found out about my trip. She was like, Hey, can I be Ohio? And can you take my boys fishing? And I was like, yeah. And I, I got there and I'm like, you know, why do you need me to take your boys fishing? She said, because my husband, when he came back from Afghanistan, he promised the boys a fishing trip. And he committed suicide before he followed through with his word. He jumped into a trash compactor and there's nothing left of him. And they're left with that knowledge and that memory. And so I thought, wow, this is my opportunity to go out to Ohio to warn that her boys. And I, I went and took them fishing and taught them how to bait a hook. But then I turned off the camera later on and went for a walk and I talked to him about warn them of the demons. This is the demon you're going to face because your dad took his life. And you're going to come to that same, that same milestone point where you're going to think it's, it's not worth it. And dad did it. So it's fine for me. And you're going to wrestle with it. And we talked and ever since then, this lady talked to me at least every six months and will tells me how much that Three days changed your life. And what did I do? Took a boy's fishing, went for a walk, talked. Uh, well, about a year later, she was on ABC's Extreme Weight Loss. 
Melissa Karkowski, lost a bunch of weight. And the reason why she was on it is because the state before in Indiana, I was helping out Marcy Crozier. She asked me to pick up dog poop for a friend. And I picked up all this dog poop. And I'm like, how can picking up dog poop help everything, anything in the world? And it completely transformed this other person's life by allowing her the opportunity to work on that TV show. So it was kind of how things weave together and you can only look at it in hindsight how service works but you just do your best serve others and let it go and then magical amazing things happen yeah that that is pretty amazing uh, a couple thoughts there just towards the tail end of the story one you never know how like one connection is going to lead to another connection and how you can help somebody by somebody else that you might know or might build a relationship with. And if you remain open to those things, just opportunities abound for everybody. I think it's really cool. And my other takeaway is you can never underestimate the power of a conversation or the power of a connection with somebody when you have a really authentic conversation with them. Uh, so along your travels, what did you learn about kind of connecting and communicating with folks and having some of those deeper conversations with a lot of strangers that you hadn't met before? Serve first, give them value first. And a lot of times we want to use our energy to push our narrative. But when we go into the situation and just ask someone else what they think, what they believe, and then how can I help you? And then just doing what they asked. Every single family throughout the entire country, after that first day, on the second day, what do you believe? What do you think? This is awesome. I, wanna, I want your perspective. So instead of me pushing my narrative and trying to control a narrative, they're asking me. And so I think also another thing, waiting to be asked was really helpful in communication because if you ask me then you give me permission and that permission changes the game because only a fool gives unsolicited advice and so it's like what you know what are you doing barging into this is none of your business well you just asked so it, that, that never came up and so the most intimate things in people's lives uh biggest hurts uh, betrayals. And they were like, how do you overcome things? Being able to share that time and then bond to where now people are scared to survive. And I look at the United States and I have, you know, 20, 30 families that I could stay with in any state at any given time. Couches abound for you. What's that? <laughs> I said couches abound for you. Couches everywhere. <laughs> couches abound. More guest rooms than couches. <laughs> In fact, when you said, you know, at the beginning, you thought it would be like huge anxiety. Yeah, I chewed up the insides of my cheeks. I had so much anxiety, but that was the point. I put all the snakes on me mm -hmm. and, and overloaded my brain. So eventually, you know, the goal was to break my myself, to break my brain, to break my habits. And then because changing your environment is so important. Well, if you have a relationship with someone else and you have to change that environment just when you're with them. So like with my father growing up, because we ch changed our relationship, he would make sure the environment changed when he talked to me about something. And, and so I took that concept. I wanted to change the relationship with myself. And so it was every state, a new place, a new place and pulverizing my mind week after week. And having no material possessions or cool clothes or anything to fall back on, I wanted to find out who the man I was 
without anything to hide behind and then grow that person versus the weak or slimy LA guy or whatever else. Cause I was in LA for so long, things taint you. And so how do you remove that tainting of whatever environment you're in? So that's, that was the goal. Yeah. Did the, was the trip overall successful in shifting your mindset? <laughs> completely. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. I figured as much. Yeah. I mean, I, after it took, it took six months. So the goal, the internal goal for myself around the country was to remove uh, the lingering PTSD anxiety that I had from growing up, not just my dad, but my, my parents had a foster home. And so I grew up with foster kids and I was the kid that t- showed you the ropes when you first moved in. I was always three years younger they always hated me because I had a family and they didn't. And so, and they were street kids and half of my sisters had pimps. Like there were suicide attempts every other month. There was runaways every other week. So the, f- the fact is anything that can happen in a foster home happened to me as a kid. And you have this shame and anxiety and feelings of worthlessness and insecurity because you know that you couldn't protect yourself. And the one thing that happens about shame that people don't understand, especially when you're a child, something happens to you when you're a child and you can't protect yourself. Well, it replays in your mind over and over as you get older and older. And so, but it replays as if you're the age you are. So maybe something happened when I'm seven to nine. Well, then when I'm 13, 16, 18, it's as if it's happening at that age. So when I am a man and I can stand up for myself, it's as if I chose not to. So there's a whole twisting that happens. Mm. When you speak about that, it doesn't heal the problem. It just shines a light on it. So it stops twisting it and it stops contorting your mind. So it, it locks it into the age group that you experienced it. But the way you heal yourself it is by use, creating a purpose to that pain and using that situation to help other people. Because I, mean, I can't tell you how many girls I've talked to, and guys, but mainly girls, they're like, James, you don't understand. You know, I, I went out and, and you know, I, was, I was raped in this, thing, in this situation. And, and I'm like, actually, unfortunately, yeah, I do. I do understand. But this is what helped me. And this is what I think can help you. But you have to create that purpose to the pain. You have to help someone else. And the only way you can help that other person is if you went through it. If you cried yourself to sleep many times and then you understand the need to both speak it and then serve other people with it. And then something beautiful comes from that crap of life that couldn't have happened had you not used it to serve another person. And I think that that's really powerful. And there's a lot of people in need out there. And I think a lot of people suffering silently, um, embarrassed, afraid, ashamed, worried about speaking up. Um, yeah. when I think a lot of good could come from it, but it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a challenge. So definitely, um, give credit to you for the courage to stand up and, and talk about it and try to help others with it. Thanks. But it's also after you do it, like it takes courage the first few times and it still stings. Like even now saying it to you, I was thinking, do you want to say this? No, don't say it. I don't want to say it. But then the fact is 
30% of girls, 40% of boys by the time they hit 18 happens. Add another 10% to both 40 and, and 50 uh, by the time they're 21. You know, there's some sort of uh, experience. So you, when you look out at the world, it's almost half at least um, that have experienced something like that. And if they don't know how to deal with it, if it's just shoved down, then it comes out in, in bad ways. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've mentioned a few times about the relationship with your father over the years, and I believe that continues to evolve, right? That's yeah. kind of what your, your book was about, if I remember right. Yeah. So my book, it's about, so I, the first chapter it goes through the suicide attempt because I wanted to share why a child that's 11 years old would think that could be the answer. Cause a lot of people are boggled by, you know, why is this a, a possibility? But a lot of times it's just to escape pain mm-hmm. and no one wants me around anymore. I don't want to be around anymore. That's the answer. So my dad went from saving these kids from a life he had being this great guy to all these foster kids. And then he was jealous of me as a child. And so he wanted to, the man in him wanted to provide a good life, but the little boy in him was jealous because I had clean clothes. I had a mother that loved me. Santa Claus came to my house. I got to go to school every day and learn. Those are things he never got to enjoy. And so then he wanted to take those away or and punish me for him. So he did. Well, by the time I was 11, I was just like, I couldn't do anything right and just screaming all the time I'm like no one wants me around and so I told him about the suicide attempt and it rocked his world because he had no idea and he just said I'm going to do whatever I can to turn this around and he started from that point to when I graduated high school for six years he came to me every week he's like how did I do this week I gave him a grade, A, B, C, D, F. And then I'd explain why he got the grade. So in a time where people are very inarticulate about what they feel and why they feel it, I'm able to articulate it all the time because I had that practice. But it also empowered me to believe in myself because now, you know, this person, you know, our, our image of our father is what we look at God as. So it's like person as big as God, my father, my dad now is taking my words and my account and my feelings as something that will will change his behavior and it's important and there's weight to it so then i suddenly had self-worth and so that completely transformed my life so i had you know i had a lot of rage insecurity uh shame and 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 anxiety but this process that my father came to me every week, it removed the rage. So using service, he would try to serve me and it removed that rage. Well, the next time when I went off to college, I was like, oh, this change of environment, these things, I played with it and I removed insecurity. I went from never trying out for any drama team or sports program or anything because I was a stupid, worthless piece of, you know, (laughs) insert expletive. And, you know, why would they want to pick me? And if they did pick me, then they're stupid and I wouldn't want to work with them anyway. (laughs) It was a horrible cycle. (laughs) But then I thought someone said, all limitations are self-imposed. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to explore that. First thing I ever tried out for, I ran for student body president of my college. Wow. And I was like, if you guys are going to vote for me, I can't, I'll try. You like to go all in. 
Yeah. When yeah. you decide to go, you go all in. Yeah. I'm a cannonballer. <laughs> uh, definitely don't tiptoe in the, in the shallow end, but I, I, I did it and it was biggest landslide at that time in the history of like a university. And it was a three man race. And, uh, I was, uh, 19, just turning 20. And then that kind of changed the course of my life. So going from very insecure to being secure, and I still had the shame and anxiety. Well, I, I spoke at a Father's Day service with my dad. The pastor asked my dad and I to speak. And he was like, hey, you guys always had a good relationship. Why don't you share us your secrets? Well, <laughs> and then I talked to my dad, like, hey, let's tell him the truth. And <laughs> actually, I have this uh, the video on my uh, giveback.com website. If someone wanted to, to watch it, um, that, that actual talk. But after the talk, there's like 700 people that lined up and they're out of a thousand and they're like trying to talk to us. And we know all these people, like, how did you do it? I'm going through the same thing. And I was like, wow, you believed our lie. Like we believed yours. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the truth. So I committed to uh, writing a book and decided to move to LA to learn how to write. Well, then that new change of environment, you know, what better place to, to rewire being shamed or having shame than in the town of the shameless. So going to LA, baby. <laughs> so over 10 years that, that rewired and I felt I was able to remove that, but I always had anxiety, that PTSD crippling anxiety. And, you know, back when I was looking at myself in that mirror, uh, I was like, you know, you are more than what you've become. Like, if you really know how to do this, then do it. And so I committed. I'm like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to give it all. And then as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> that's what it's going to take. And so, yeah, and that's how the ball started rolling. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, tremendous commitment. Because I think a lot of us have those moments where like, okay, this is a change I'm going to make. But then we don't follow through. Or maybe we make it for a few days and then we kind of give up on it. Um, like I said, you go all in and, and there's a lot to be said about that. I think there's also something like crossing the Rubicon. There's something to burn in the boat behind you. Uh -huh. So in giving everything away, not only did it, it infused my life with trust and, and belief, but also made it to where, what are you going to go back to? <laughs> you don't got Jack. <laughs> so it, it made it to where it was the only choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just a few more questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show, if, if that's all right. And the, the first one is something we touched on before, the power of conversation. Mm -hmm. So as I said before, right, I really believe in the power that one conversation can have on somebody's life. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one conversation you can point to that had a really meaningful impact on the direction that you ended up taking. A few years prior to everything coming down, uh, a yogi. Uh, actually, the Indian dude in double-breasted suit in Santa Monica came up to me, tapped on my arm, and he's like, may I talk to you? And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> like, you're wearing a <laughs> double-breasted suit on the streets of Santa Monica. Everyone flip-flops, and it's sunny outside. But, yeah, that's cool. And he went through, and I'll, I'll abbreviate it, but he, he asked me, well, he, he wrote down things on a piece of paper. And he folded and he put it in my hand. And it was when I didn't believe in a lot of the energetic stuff of the world. I thought it was just 
you know, hocus pocus, hippy dippy crap. And, and he, uh, he said, he goes, if, let me ask you a few questions. He's like, how many brothers and sisters do you have? What is your favorite color? Um, uh, what year were you born? And what's your favorite flower? And uh, do you have anyone negative in your life? And, uh, you know, I, I went through and I said, you know, brothers, I got 38 foster sisters, 11 foster brothers, you know, guess that one. He's like, no, how many do you claim? And I was like, okay, I have one natural sister. Born in 1975, people usually, you know, think I'm, I'm a lot uh, uh, younger than I am. And, you know, favorite color. And he goes, don't, don't guess blue. Everyone says blue. And I guess green. So like, well, I was going to say blue. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't really care about flowers, said lilies. And then I said, I didn't have anyone negative and in my life. And he's like, you know, try really hard to think. And at the time I went to a, uh, I had this one date with this girl and the, the guy at the hairdresser that I was at before to, to clean up for this date, there was something I was talking to the hairdresser. And I was like, you know, she said something about something just wasn't quite right. And I thought there was a dark side to her. And so I thought, you know, I'll just throw her name out. And so I was like, Kim. And he goes, if the answers on this piece of paper are similar to the answers that you've given me, would you listen to me? And I opened the piece of paper and I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't me. It was brother zero, sisters one, 1975, green. Oh, the flowers were lilies. I still don't care about flowers. He gave me four options. But then the last one was Kim. And at first when he asked me, I said, no, there wasn't anyone negative in my life. And he told me, he goes, James, what I just did for you is nothing. I did it so you would listen to me because I know that you would not listen to me unless I had something to grab your attention. And he goes, but that girl is here to destroy you. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is my date tonight. And then he threw his arms up in the air and he's like, you can't exist. You can't exist. I was like, what do you mean? I can't exist. You can't exist. You don't fit into my cosmology, dude. Like, this is weird. And he goes, you vibrate at a certain frequency and it's only through one way. And it's through something you've never done. You go against everything I was trained to understand. You can't exist. I was like, what have I never done? And it was the only time where he was pissed off at me. He looked at me and he pointed right in my face and he's like, you have never meditated. I was like, right again. (laughs) (laughs) And later I found out that massage therapy is kind of a form of meditation. And I've done 10 to 15, 20,000 hours of that. So it kind of builds the same structures, but it isn't as complete as meditation. Mm -hmm. It's like building a car. You have the car, but you had to put gas in and turn it on. I didn't put the gas in and turn it on. Anyway, he took me, I was like, well, you want to teach me how to meditate? He took me down to the coffee shop, taught me how to meditate. It was about a 20 minute conversation. And from then on, I explored that in my personal life. And everything that I have done has been from that quiet time, stealing my mind, stealing my body, you know, trying to connect with my highest self and say, okay, what is the best value for, for everyone involved? Even, even the, the class that you took of mine, the pelvic balancing class with Beck Balance, like, you know, how do I serve soldiers? How do I, how do I learn this technique to serve all these people? 
it comes during those quiet moments. And I think people, a lot of times, they don't allow themselves the space to quiet themselves. And that was the most transformative conversation I've ever had. Oh, it's a pretty amazing one. Not many of us have had conversations like that, I don't think. Well, <laughs> uh, so the second question for you, if there's one a communication skill that you could have, could have had in more abundance throughout your life that would have all made it a lot easier, what would that have been? Don't mix vision casting with reality. Uh, because sometimes the, the, the challenge with me is I've rewired my mind. So I think in a different way, I using both sides of the right brain, left brain more consistently. And a lot of times people are stuck in their, in their left brain and because it's hierarchical, there's language attached to it. And so with that, I see things in a different way. And so I see the future of how it could be. And now it's great for manifesting something. However, it can, you can look like you're not altogether there or you're, you're hawking something that isn't true um, if you stay in that space. So you have, to, you have to know when you're communicating vision of what can be, and then you're communicating to the reality of what is, and then talking about the bridge that you need to build to get there instead of just talking about what can be and, and expecting people to then follow you there eventually. Really important lesson for leadership, right? For leaders who often, I know I've struggled with this, you know, kind of give a direction. Here's where I think we want to go. You understand? Yes, I understand. And then a week later, you find out they didn't understand at all, you know, right. and they're in a different reality than what you were envisioning in the first place. So definitely a powerful leadership lesson. So last question for you, who's the best communicator that you know, either know personally or know of? And why do you say that about them? Uh, my wife. My safe wife. answer. Uh, well, it's, it's not just the safest, <laughs> but it's, it's actually true. It, and the reason why, a couple things. Uh, number one, she squeezes my knee to shut up. <laughs> and I love it because every time she does it, and at first it bugged me, but there's a, she's a, a former fighter pilot and there's a, there's a saying, never miss an opportunity to sip from the cup or shut the up. <laughs> and so knowing when not to communicate, I think is more important than knowing when to communicate because scarcity provides value. And if you're talking all the time, then your message will get lost in the words, but also when yeah when not only when to pull back but also with integrity you know being in the air force she's she was a uh, an officer and sometimes she'll look at me and she's like james that wasn't exactly true <laughs> is that really like is that real and then it's like well because sometimes when you're a storyteller you want to you go for humor you maybe inflate something to, to get the story to connect and trying to be exactly truthful to every nth degree of of what i say because even in the, sh the short term you can maybe get some sort of benefit but in the long term it will cost you your reputation which will devalue your story altogether absolutely i know we talked a little bit uh previous to this around kind of your ideas around cooperative economy so i'd love for you to share a little bit about really what that is because i think a lot of listeners probably don't know and and then what you find so appealing about it so what we have now today is a transactional uh, competitive economy, and it is based on left brain hierarchical thinking. A cooperative economy is based on right brain 
connection, interaction. And it's more connected to indigenous cultures. There's also, when you look at ancient Egypt, you have uh, the golden age of civilization. They had a national currency, which was used to control other relationships with other entities. And then they had a cooperative currency, which was dealt with with the priestly class. Hmm. Well, they, they had a, a study in Gehent, Belgium where they unveiled a cooperative economy and it was with high unemployment, a lot of different languages, different cultures, and it boosted the local economy by 300%. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's, it's based on time, time and service. So I give, so others give more. So you give, in, whether it be garden beautification, you know, community farm, there's all sorts of things and my, my thought was the only limitation to this government study was it was a paper currency, but we could create a digital currency based on time paid forward. So validating each unit of currency, you have the six degrees of separation. And so you create an escalating system of honor based on time that's paid forward. Well, when you look at the cost of everything in humanity, at least 75% of the cost of any business is labor or time. So if you can undercut that time and empower people with the power of a bank, so like banks just create money out of nothing. You deposit 10 grand and they can, they can loan out $100,000 legally and collect 20% on that. And it's just getting money based on an idea. Well, and that's based on nothing, a fiat currency. Well, with this, my thought, when I had the original idea and looking at this government study thinking, okay, I have this internal journey of removing anxiety, but this external journey of creating a time-based currency. And I actually, when I was on national news Christmas morning, I didn't put out a press release. They found me, commerce popped up. They asked me, James, why are you doing this? And I thought, Oh, this is perfect. I can timestamp my idea on national news. <laughs> I was like, I want to create a time-based currency and someone needs to make an initial investment. So that's what I'm doing. Oh. So my goal eventually, and if, if humanity wants it, and, and it's before coronavirus hit, it seemed very novel. However, now I feel it's necessary. And when you, if you rewind the clock a decade, they had um, the whole Senate, the, the, the Senate put together like a super, super committee. And because they're all, everyone was talking about the financial cliff, the fiscal cliff. We're all fa falling off the fiscal cliff. What about the fiscal cliff? We have the super committee and, and failure is not an option. After they met together for a few months, they're like, uh, yeah, well, we give up, but we're confident someone somewhere will come up with something. <laughs> Isn't that the fact? And so my thought was, okay, I'm going to be that someone. Because like, okay, if, if I want to do something big, yeah, I'll do this internal journey rewiring See, because I think I know how to rewire anxiety, but I'm going to try the biggest thing I can possibly imagine. And it's so big, I haven't imagined it yet. Well, that was the thing that I imagined, which was actually the biggest thing I could possibly imagine is, is creating this to where all you have to have is a zero point, a starting point, and there's a way to collect. There's a way to, to, to basically support all the um, current, uh, basically the, the people in society, the, the government programs and support that without burdening their budgets. 
because it happens outside of that. So, you know, there's I can I can send you the document and you can put it on the if, if people wanted to actually see it so they, sure. they didn't think I'm actually crazy. But yeah, no, um, I'd love to see it. We can definitely put a link to it in the show notes as well. Cool. Yeah. But that's that was the reason the uh, the cooperative economy is is so powerful. I was actually inspired in 2008 going to Burning Man to where and and I'm not a like a, the guy that invited me is he was inviting me and I was like dude I did not want to go to the desert and take drugs I don't not, that's not my bag he's like that's not what it's about when I was there there was no money everyone was giving their time and and I actually had I got really I heat stroke and so and someone took care of me the stranger and I was just so just enraptured with this stranger coming by me and being and giving me time consistently and wanting nothing in return. And I thought, I wonder if this is viable, a viable existence in modern day society. And if it is, if we can track it and trace it and honor it, then what would it provide other people? And so that's kind of the basis. If, if you were to look at my Ted talk, when I talk about even having soldiers come back into reintegrate back into society to rewire their minds, living in a state of service to where, they're calm, they know they can survive, they're going from family to family, serving, connecting, even growing this cooperative economy so then they can set up a life wherever they choose. So that's the dream and however long it takes to accomplish that. And if we can, I guess that's, that's my lot in life, whether it happens or not, time will tell. So you made the initial deposit, what's the next step? The next step is creating a tracking system and yeah, I really did give away everything I owned and had to come back from nothing. Um, I had a car and bag of clothes and toolbox and computer, but going from there, um, you know, right now I, I just, I, a month ago, uh, a couple months ago, a speaking agent picked me up. And, and so I'm starting to talk to corporate corporations on how service can transform their corporate culture and, and infuse relationships and trust and have their the sticky glue to where it gets programs and, and teamwork going a lot faster, exponentially faster. So I'm doing that, but the ultimate goal is to create a tracking system so that people can actually do it. Um, I, and I was thinking, I was actually thinking about contacting the governor because I, I talked to uh, Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, California on a radio show. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I was just talking to Newt Gingrich about that yesterday. And so <laughs> whether that's true or not, I don't know. In, in LA, there's a lot of maybe babies and, and you know, everyone gets, gets uh, bogged down with their own life. And it's a big undertaking. But um, right now, I don't know what else there is out there that can provide this. And it's a government study from Ghent, Belgium. It's, it's not something that I created. There's certain rules that need to be followed and and things that need to be observed but i have to tell you you know you you brought up the fact that you know i'm one of the happiest guys on the planet and my life was hell before this trip at ptsd anxiety panic attacks and then shifting to where there's this euphoria when you can go connect with people and your time not only is important but is changing the lives of every person you meet and you're like, wow, my time is valuable. My life is valuable. This is amazing. So wanting to have that individual gift towards other people is, is the individual goal. Being able to track and trace it, make it open, honest, and transparent through technology is the ultimate goal. 
Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely want to check out the the paper and share it with the audience and, and learn a little bit more about that. It's definitely, I think it's a really exciting concept. Cool. Cool, man. But so last question for you, where can folks find you? Where can they find what you're up to and, and all the great stuff you got going on now? Well, I have, I have two websites. The one, if, uh, if they want the, the pelvic balancing uh, technique that I taught you, yeah, that helped your I low back. I highly recommend. That is at Beck Balance, B-E-C-K balance.com. And I, my next class is on December 6th. And I only have 30 spots. So I want to keep it low so that I can make sure everyone is on point, their, their form is good. And then if people want to know about the speaking and rewiring the mind, that's at GiveBeck, G-I-V-E-B-E-C-K, my last name, James Beck. So, and so give Beck and Beck Balance. Those and the title of the book? The title of the book is Hey Dad, Remember Me. Mm-hmm. About breaking patterns of generational dysfunction. Got it, got it. Very cool. Well, I just really appreciate the time, James. It was great, uh, very authentic, genuine conversation, which I really appreciate. You got me wanting to go out and give. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was trying to give a little bit, but I think I could definitely give more. And I think I, you know, I and society and the folks around me will benefit a lot from it. Um, so I, I appreciate that lesson that you taught us all to kind of just give a little bit more or Thanks give a whole lot like you did. <laughs> the more the merrier. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. Thank you. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.